Welcome to Where Wine Takes You, a wine podcast making no apologies for how much we love good wine, good stories behind the wine, and the good people and places that produce it. I'm your host, Adam Montiel. Well, I hope you're having a great holiday season. I'm super excited about today's episode. We have Wine Folly on the show today. Founder of Wine Folly, Madeline Paquette is here, as well as Wine Folly CEO, David Glusman. Now, come on, Wine Folly. When you look up the page of Making Wine Approachable on Wikipedia, you're going to see Madeline's face. Wine Folly started as a blog. It became a New York Times bestselling book. There's a new book now. Their illustrations, their maps, their Instagram rocks under a half a million people. Madeline, with her story and her tenacity, and now her new partnership with the Global Wine Database, is putting them in great position to not only do more good in the wine biz, but also celebrate wine from arguably the biggest platform to do it. Madeline started out in music, in art, in the restaurant scene even, and we're going to share how it grew into something pretty magnificent, but also something that has helped many, many people understand and care and also feel like they belong in this thing called the wine scene. David has been working in tech and with the web for some 30 years. He's got entrepreneurial experience. He's got tech experience, design experience, worked with tech startups, and a lot more. He's behind the Global Wine Database, whose mission is to increase innovation in the wine world with better information. Their vision really is connecting the wine information of the world to a single source of truth controlled by the producers. If you remember last episode, we talked a lot about collaborations, and this is another epic story of two great minds meeting, using their individual talents to accomplish something bigger than the both of them. I want to get right into it. Before we do, though, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast if you have not already. Also, sharing with a friend is huge. Always encourage you to maybe forward this to a different friend each episode so we can continue to further our worldwide wine podcast domination. While the last episode with Matt Brindleston, Dustin Crawl from Firestone, and Alex Villacana from Refined Distillery, it peaked at number five for the top wine podcast in the country and number two in Canada, which is unreal. Love you. Thank you. Who knows? David, the CEO of Wine Folly, is from Canada. Maybe he can push us to hit number one. Who knows? Sweet note from Danielle in the OC. Big shout out to Adam for hosting such a fantastic podcast. Oh, thank you, Danielle. I learned so much about wine and the local Paso wineries and makers. I visit Paso often, and Adam has provided so many great talking points for my winery visits. He's a real talent when it comes to interviews. It makes the winery experience so much more enjoyable when you know their stories. I look forward to hearing more. Thanks, Adam. Well, thank you, Danielle from the OC. Appreciate you. Okay, right into it. Madeline and David are in town for a short, short period of time. And thanks to Joel and Paso Wines team for securing me some time and space with them. We were at the legendary Paso Robles Inn. We're in their boardroom, and I think we're coming into the conversation talking about U.S. wines outside of California. My friend Cheyenne from the 20 Wino podcast sent me some Idaho wine, and I was asking Madeline if she knew anything about Idaho wines, and we just started talking about wines outside California in general. Let's get into it. Cheers. Give me that sound, we'll get by, we pass on round till the job is camped out in the trees, it will simplify and good company. Oh, I just, I have tasted a lot at this point and I'm always immensely curious because I want to know what it tastes like because I believe that in order for America to love wine, it has to, everyone has to make it. 
Like, right? Yeah. Like it's got to be part of their culture. And so we might have the best examples, benchmark examples from specific regions that are great, that are established, a.k.a. you got your Paso Robles, you got your Napa Valley, you got your Walla Walla Valley, you got your whatever places. But we need everybody to go home and make some garage wine so that they can be like, okay, kids. Well, maybe not kids. Yeah, right. <laughs> Depends on the state. Come on. <laughs> yeah, right. No, but I see what you mean. That's actually a really good point. Yeah. 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 I didn't know what to think when I tasted the Virginia wine. I was like, oh, Dude, whoa. Dude, okay. So I asked this winemaker, like I was working on a, oh, this is a crazy story. This Iranian mom fell in love with wine folly in Iran and was like, I'm making wine in my bathtub. My Everybody loves it. You have to find out about it, but I need help because I'm trying to improve the quality. I think I can do better. And she's like, I just go to the market. And she took photos of the grapes and they were using Tinterior grapes. So red on the inside, red on the outside. And I was like, what? We have to help this mom. So they put a call out on Instagram and this famous winemaker from Washington State. Stop it. Gramercy <laughs> Sellers guy. Do you guys know this? Greg yeah, of Harrington? Course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Emails me and tells us how we can make bathtub wine using a freaking, uh, what are those temperature monitor things you put in like fish? Oh, like, like, a, like an aquarium thermometer? Well, they control the temperature in really high end. Like oh. in, in, in not high end, but it's like, like a any thermostat aquarium. for an aquarium. No, it like actually moderates the temperature. It'll cool it or it'll warm it up yeah. with these little ticks or whatever. Okay. And so, so he was like, you need to jam one of those in the bathtub and we need to start working on our temp as much as we can. We can, we need to monitor our temperature and do things to monitor the temperature of the winemaking in the bathtub. And so he had this like whole long thing he sent me and I forwarded it to her and she's like, I'm trying it out. <laughs> and she made wine and she, it's totally illegal in Iran to make wine and she did not give an F. Damn. Fuck. She did not give it because I can say that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> say it all the way out. Go ahead. She didn't give a fuck. Yeah. So it was like, uh, it was one of those moments where I felt like the world connected together and to, to help uh, Iranian grandmother make better wine. That's a cool story because you can't deny the effectiveness of connecting with people. I'm a huge per. I just love connecting with people, you know? And when you've seen the ability to be like, oh my God, this person's in Iran and they want to make wine. They've seen the wine folly situation or whatever iteration it hit them. And they felt like to come to you to say, hey, yeah. this is what I'm dealing with. This is, what, what can I do? This is why we have, we have a support email that anyone can write us in and stuff. And we get a lot of weird questions like that because we want to answer them that's why i'm you can't always answer like, them all though right i mean that's oh what, well no it's not it's like it's a little crazy now but th this was an older story when we were just starting out so i still was managing the comms on all like my emails out there in the world <laughs> so i was like anyone who wants to write me can write in what I does was, your email box look like right now do you have like a lot is it clear or do you okay. have a lot of like mine, I've got, mine's, mine's heinous i've got the one that's out there in the world and that one's heinous yeah and then there's my actual email that nobody knows and it's literally empty no, it's still very it's still bad. Got, it's still got 56,000. Good to know. David bad is... Yet. <laughs> explains a lot. <laughs> it's, it's like every now and again, I'll just be like, select all archive. Right. Yeah, I know. I feel you. Let's we're cheers, gonna, guys. We're going to geek out on Inbox Zero. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well, no, I'm, I'm not even there. And I don't even know if that's ever going to be my kind of... I don't think I could ever reach an Inbox Zero. Uh, Joel Peterson, Paso Wine. Have you reached email Inbox Zero status or no? I have, I have to obsessively open them all the time. Yeah. I don't like them when there's like the number on your email thing. you don't like it being unread oh, yeah, I, gotta, I gotta read it yeah, yeah. Chris Toronto can you and me yeah, buddy yeah, yeah. You and so me you guys both have that kind of everyone's got their own little yeah, email I have to read 
read it. Issues, idiosyncrasies. Tell me why you were excited for this episode, because I know you've read, all of you guys have been really excited. Because so have I. I've never met this. You and I started this podcast pre-pandemic, and we've yeah. had so much fun, and we've had amazing guests. This is a cool one, because we, we most of our guests are in the past world AVA. They are here, they make wine, they grow grapes, and it's cool to bring people from outside the, ep- the episode. I know we brought in uh, MJ Taller, Black Wine Guy, a few, a few months ago. Cool. That was fun. James the, Suckling? James Suckling came on. One that was great. Me. So, I mean, we've had good people on the pod. He actually tasted um, my wine, my love. Awesome. He did. I think he rated, he rated it like a 90. 90 to 92. Yeah. He gave it the range. He no. was really sweet. You know that I yeah. love that he actually was like, gave you an answer right there, and then that takes... That's well, a- we talked about that. What yeah. was cool about that is that I saw him the day it was at Hospice Jerome, saw him the day before, and he remembered the next day that he had said on the air with me, Oh yeah, I'll taste your wine. He's like, Hey, you bring that wine with you? I'm like, sure as heck did, James, you know, and then I threw it down. And he was just a really sweet guy. And he just said the same thing you do. He's like, Pig pool, okay. That's because we like at the pig pool. You like at the like pig pool. We're going to talk about how you connected with, with David. David Gluzman is here. He's the CEO of Wine Folly. And, and what you really did is you kind of like collaborated the, the wine database that we're working on with Wine Folly. And this happened, what, a few years ago, 19? Yeah, about three three years and change now. Yeah. yeah. I can't wait to hear how that's evolved. Before we get into how you crossed paths, though, Madeline, with David, I'm um, super interested in your story because I've always loved the idea of making wine approachable. And I was very intimidated by wine. I moved up here for radio in De Paso. And one of the first things I did was like, I worked at a wine bar, knew nothing about wine, and just bullshitted with my theater background to try and get through and make up things, you know? That's awesome. Yes. <laughs> and then you started, I mean, back in the day, you were in Outback. You were in, you, you were in the restaurant hospitality scene and then when did you start going oh man wine this is something well I was always drinking no, you I, <laughs> I went to art school so right. art school every Thursday we had an art show and people would show their the, the final projects the senior class projects and things like that really amazing stuff and so they always served wine so it felt like part of the ethos of being an artist is to drink wine <laughs> Like, that's the beverage of choice. So I had wine around me, but it wasn't particularly good wine. It was mostly two buck chuck. And I was 20, I turned 21. My dad got me a wine subscription and I tasted the first wine that I was like, OMG, was a uh, a Cote de Rhone. That'll do it. And it was like, uh, for whatever reason, that vintage was an all, it tasted very olivey. Maybe it had a high percentage of Syrah in it. I don't know. Um, Because I didn't know anything. I was like, what is this Cote's? De Rone <laughs> stuff. And then I bought another bottle and the vintage was different. And I, and then I learned about vintage variation. Just in two bottles, just like that. And, and at that point, I was like, we've got to, we have to solve this problem. It became like more of like a, I have to repeat the experience of chasing the dragon moment. So it was trying to solve finding good quality wine. And I, and that's how I got into wine was essentially, I was trying to drink more stuff that I liked. So that's got, that got me into wine. And then I got, I didn't start working in wine until in 2008. Everybody lost their job and myself included. And I went to a wine bar to drink my sorrows away and, that's how I got in the wine industry. The guy was working there. We started tasting wine, and I was drinking to get drunk, potentially. But I had a really good time. He allegedly. Really cool, allegedly. allegedly. <laughs> After losing my job. But he was like, dude. Well, he didn't say dude. He was, I don't know. This this is my retelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, dude, <laughs> I've been working here for four months. I literally haven't had a day off. Do you want to maybe come on the weekends and polish glassware? Because we hand-washed our glasses there in the three-sink method. So I have washed thousands of gla- hand-washed thousands of glasses at this wine bar. And that is what got me in the wine industry. And then it was serving people like you at a wine bar, uh, it, you know, 
you bullshit until it starts making sense. And you, and I, I was just so curious reading everything, learning as much as I could. And I started drawing these pictures and like, we had this like little card deck of hand drawn tasting notes and things of wines and people would guess wines. I would like throw down like strawberry, raspberry, sage, you know, I'd, and I'd be like, what wine is this? And people would be like, uh, I don't know. And I was like, it's Garnacha. Have some more. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So it was always kind of like this instructional, approachable, let's not be intimidated by something that yeah. was, by all accounts, very intimidating for a lot of people. Yeah, no, we had lots of fun. And uh, my uh, my boss was like, you've got something here. Yeah. You should do something with that. Um, David, I'm curious. You, big cycler, right? When is that where you crossed paths with wine was just cycling all over the world or what? Yeah, it's actually kind of a funny story, which I lived in Italy for a good portion of my cycling career, riding road bikes, like Tour de France style stuff, but not in Tour de France, lower than that. Wasn't that that good, unfortunately. You were to me. Uh, awesome. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> but um, the team I was racing with actually put us up like where we lived and they put us up in a monastery. So we had like this shitty room, like six dudes sharing like a room, like one fifth the size of this room that we're recording this podcast in. It was wow. tiny. Yeah. We're on top of each other, basically. Gross. But anyway, <laughs> um, monks were at this monastery because it's a monastery and they would make their own wine. So every lunch and dinner, they just plop down two gigantic liter bottles in front of us and be like, red, white, go to town. So, well, we had nothing else to do outside of like get crazy fit and drink lots of wine. So that was how I got into wine. Damn. I was like, this is Was right. the wine good? Yeah, it's good. Because I remember it being good. Yeah. Got you drunk. Right. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was effective. Monster. What kind of grapes were they using? He's like, right. I'm not even sure. I have That's no idea. I know. Right? Where was it? It was up in a town called San Sepulcro. I want to know all about this terroir, I wonder what region David. It's in. We're going to figure this out. <laughs> yeah. I know. We're going to do like a full on like 23 and me to like uh, David's OMG We're going to find one. out what grapes he was drinking. So you, so you get out of school like 05 and then you, you get a gig. You're working in LA. Right, mm. and then you, you get a gig as a designer, which you thought is like, oh shit, this is exactly what I wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, I was working. I was a musician. I got a degree in music and art, and I, um, I, I absolutely wanted to be a designer, and um, I, because I knew I wasn't going to do unless I was going to become a rock star. I wasn't going to just go do a music job. There's not like a whole lot of them out there, right? Uh, so I was going to do music on the side, and I would do design for a living. And maybe work on the design thing. Because I thought it was like kind of integrated. You could make your own album covers. You could be a designed artist and music and all this kind of stuff. You could kind of be like vert- vertically integrated. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there you go. I, but what I didn't know was how much all of those skills would help me communicate wine. And what I didn't like about doing music at the time. Maybe I'm still like, I don't really like to like talk about my like my the the core of the vision of my music like that was not what I was into I was just like if it makes you dance I've done a good job and uh so but getting behind wine like I can geek out about wine like that was something I could spend a lot of time and get excited with somebody oh you've got to taste this like there was magic there and I guess that's what sales and marketing is right (laughs) Yeah, spreading that message and communicating Right, that. it was way easier to sell wine at a wine bar than it was to sell CDs, right? Yeah. It was it was harder for me to sell my own work than it was to be like, dudes, let's have some bubbles, it's bubble period, <laughs> like, let's go have some tasty drinks, you know, so... That was that was the thing that the, the, the like the connection was there. So that's why I think I switched roles. So Wine Folly literally is born like Jesus on Christmas Day. 
Yeah, like Jesus. We launched our first. He was born Christmas Day, as far as I still know. That's, was, that's historical fact. Yeah. So technically, we like reserved the business in the state of Washington in I think in October, and we didn't get our shit together until December. December, and the first post we launched was like how to wrap a wine bottle, which is like way late. Unless you're like, all right, what do I do? How do you I wrap a wine bottle to a on Christmas house for dinner? Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, and you had to have like a tube. Like, there was definitely pre-planning involved. Like, it was a creative way to wrap a wine bottle it was a horrible time i didn't know about seo timing then i learned that later but at least i got it out before the end of the year and in the beginning you kind of wanted to make a wine kind of club right i mean i know you've done that of late we'll talk about that towards you know later on so people can get involved but yeah the first idea was like oh it kind of be fun to do oh, a, a did, wine club yeah we wanted to start this was hilarious we <laughs> david did a way better job at this at the same time before us he was running Canada's largest wine club. We were in a tiny apartment being like three people bought the wine club and I illegally, I didn't legally, illegally do this at all. Don't quote me on that. I sent people wine, not necessarily having a permitting to do so, uh, through the mail. And I just told them it was olive oil, you know, because that's what you do. <laughs> that's what you do. I love that. <laughs> I'm interested because you, obviously you must look at this very differently, almost more empirically, these numbers. I mean, you're a, you're a tech data-driven individual, right? Yeah, I like the term product designer, personally. But yeah. yeah, I've looked at things from like a slightly different eye, having not come from the wine industry directly. Like, as Madeline alluded to, I started a wine club in 2009 called Wine Collective in Canada. and still exists, still runs. It's awesome. And that actually is very synonymous with a lot of what Madeline was trying to do, even though we didn't know each other at all. So this kind of plays in later in the game when we first started to talk, we were speaking the same language from like day 1, which is awesome. But a big thing about us running a wine club in Canada was that one very difficult to do because of all the regulations, different provinces, all that. I won't bore your listeners with all the details there, but the challenging part on top of that was getting the wine information so that we could do a great job selling and promoting the wines that we were putting into our club. So we had to set up our own photography studio. We had to become wine experts so we could knew what the hell we're talking about. We had to do tons of research. It took an ass load of time. That's actually a metric of time. But <laughs> it took a lot of time. Uh, and it was really painful. And that is actually still an issue today. So that's part of like the big grand plan, this like 14-year adventure for me, at least, in the wine industry of being like, hey, can we kick this out of the stone ages in regards to like technological adoption yes we can it's just it's taking a huge effort to do so yeah there's not only that but like just marketing the wine that you buy not having enough information to do so and we we stumbled across the same problem like while he was like selling the physical actual product the wine i was just trying to teach people about the region right and be like this is what's here and so i'd be like facts about Paso Robles. Like, I would just look online and see what was available. There was no information. I was going through at, what is NASS, the Agricultural Network on Government-run company, USDA. Like, I was searching for information. I would email the TTB, and they'd be like, we don't have any data. Like, or they would just never respond, because that's their usual MO. And so, finding the right information, like, to make that book, to, it looks consistent, but the the back end behind the Wine Folly book is like all this incredible, diverse, not consistent information. So we wanted to come forth with a unified look and feel to make wine seem easy to understand. But in truth, 
it's it's very cobbled together. Can you tell us the story of the, like how it came to, came came about? Because it's like now such like this lore of the Wine Folly book, right? Okay, so that is totally was not that was Plan B. Um, plan A was to start the wine club and to run run around the world and expose people to new regions of the world and expose them to wine and build a sort of edu- digital educational experience, 100% digital. We did not want to have a physical product. That was that sounded like a besides the wine, which you know we'll figure it out. David figured it out, so it must be possible. Although <laughs> that's saying a lot because the current Canada is crazy. Um, <laughs> the uh, but the book, what happened was uh, one of the. One of the infographics that I made went viral on Facebook. Back when Facebook was not, like, crushing <laughs> the viral spread of information, um, for I'm sure for many reasons, bad and good, uh, this uh, infographic went viral, and I was actually approached by a publisher, like a really cool art publisher, and was like, you should make a book. And this art publisher I was a huge fan of, and I went to my husband, and I was like, dude, we've got to sign on to this. My grandmother would be so proud of me because my grandmother's a very sophisticated lady. She's like, it's the New York Times. She's like, do, 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 do. And I went My granddaughter's an author. Yeah, exactly. That's what I wanted her to say. Right. <laughs> and so my, my husband was like, oh, hell no. If you're going to make a book, you need to make a book for the people. You're not making a sophisticated art book. If you want to try to, if you're going to put your, you know, like if you're going to put yourself out there, you you need to reach the people. And he sort of pushed this like proletariat view of wine on me and like talking about the vision of how I should go. He's like, stop being like all the other sommeliers. Stop being so stuck up. Like make it like the reason that people like you is you make it easy and easy to learn. And so uh, he got me an agent. He emailed a bunch of like fearlessly emailed a bunch of people, hooked me up with an agent. The agent hooked me up with the the publisher we're with now, Penguin Random House, which is a major publication, but publisher. And um that's how the book got started, but we I always thought the goal of the book was always to be digital. So forever in a day has been the project to make a online digital guide to the world of wine and help make it easy for you to find and discover wine. And that's eventually what led me to David. And the graphics were a big deal, right? Obviously like you had something that like people were like, Oh, can I get a poster of this? Or like these graphics really became kind of like the way that we would speak to our fans originally. You know, what's crazy is like how much it's been adopted by the wine industry as a whole, like how much visual communication has become part of the way that wine people communicate about wine. And that makes me, well, I'm like, you're copying my style. Or I'm like, really, I'm like, F yeah. Like, that's exactly There's just one thing of the urinal in Eberly where if you're at the <laughs> urinal and you look left, it's this, this graph. It's all, it's all <laughs> illustrated. And it's like one cluster equals one this. And this many clusters equals a bottle. And this many bottles equals a gallon. And you look literally, you're just like, I full on understanding. And, and just, it's a visual. This is that. It's just, rep- awesome. it's representative. You know, it's so cool. And I think, it, and I don't know, and I don't mean this in a pejorative way, but were you trying to do like back in the day, it was like, fill in the blank for dummies was this kind of like wine for i don't mean that in a, you know in a disrespectful way but it was this in a way because it was that was a huge book well thing, as a visual, everything for dummies like true story i refused to learn how to read until i was about eight like you that's punk rock know. that's pretty punk rock i just didn't wonder i loved i loved picture books They're like hooked on phonics not for me i got other plans as soon as i got i got put in the uh esl learning class or whatever with mostly foreign kids who just didn't know english oh interesting and so i realized i needed to get my my act together and start learning how to read and i did it it was fine um but i think i 
and maybe because of that, or maybe my type of, of learning, I'm a very visual learner first. So I, 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 sometimes when I hear things or when I read things, it doesn't make sense to me until I actually draw a picture of it. So it could have been because that was just yeah. my natural way of understanding that I chose that as a methodology for, to try to communicate. And also when you're forced to figure out how to draw something visually, you, you have to simplify it in order to be able to communicate. It's actually quite difficult to do. Uh, Once it's done, it's like, well, that's obvious. But you're like, yes, but but getting there (laughs) was difficult. Um, So I think creating those, uh, basically the rule set on how to communicate what is wine visually was part of the fun challenge for me because I enjoyed doing that kind of work. I think there's this aspect that's cool about you where like, yes, there's this gusto. You always have to be moving and doing stuff. You always got to be like, you know, what's the next thing? We got to be moving, moving, moving. That's right. So it's like, it's like this gusto. It's like being fearless, but also like not being ashamed. At, maybe there's a little naivete in there. And that's probably part <laughs> of the, the, what's going to, it's probably part of the potion, right? Yeah. I don't know. I, you know, if I had to pick you know, where do I fit in the court? I'm definitely the jester. <laughs> I'll be there with you. I love it. Yeah. So take me, David, when you guys cross paths. Yeah. So I guess it's probably worth just briefly touching base with it. Like, why did we create a database before even talking to Madeline, if that's cool? Please, the, yeah. the whole reason why we started the Global Wine Database was because of what I was previously saying with running our own wine club. We had to do so much work to get information. We're like, there's got to be a better way. And the big part was that there was no standard for actually recording and or like talking about wine, period, right? And depending where you are in the world, people will like emphasize this over that, right? And it could be like, oh, do you call it nose? Or do you call it, what does it smell like? And what does it taste like? What was it on the palate? And like nomenclature, a lot of nomenclature issues. But then scientific data would be like, are you going to tell me the pH? Do I care? What is the alcohol? Is it like in bottle and tank? Whatever, right? So it's just like the whole storytelling. I equated to being like working in the wine industry or being a naive person getting into the wine industry and then realizing that this is quite possibly the worst game of telephone I've ever played. So because of that, we had to create this database to try and save time for ourselves. But at the same point in time, looking and going, we think there's an opportunity here to try and help the industry move forward to have a standard and to share information one time accurately to many people. So instead of just like sharing PDFs and hiring pigeon carriers to carry your message all over the world to like actually use technology. So originally when talking to Madeline, that was basically the pitch. I was like, look, I love wine folly and like I think it could do so much more if it could lean into the accuracy of information. Because as Madeline had hinted, like putting together the book and looking at the data to get it from the regions themselves to then make the graphics, where do you get that data from? Where does the region authority get the information from? Then if you're talking to the wineries, like where are the wineries getting the information from? So it's turtles all the way down. It's just like a simple thing in other industries, but in the wine industry, it's like, nope, it's incredibly complicated. And consumers at the end of the day don't care. But they do care if they like it or not. And when they find something they like, they want to be like, why do I like this? And trying to find more things that they like. But they can't do that without 
information. Yeah. Well, it's like reverse engineering the way we get to this information. That's where wine folly is so important. I think because people want information. And if, like you said during the presentation, like if you can Google or you can ask Siri or Google where this comes from, you want that clear information. You want that clear data. And that's why we want to partner with these guys because it's like they have the they have like the the mouth, the megaphone to the right audience in terms of like we love what we're doing. But if we can kind of put it in the same in the same place, that's where we have more power, right? Because like if you're going to be at home in Des Moines, Iowa, Googling like where's Grenache in California, we can have a lot of different sources, especially the main ones saying, yeah. oh, here's the five places they grow. Paso Robles is a good place and here's why. Then it like it gives power to like not only our wineries, but these guys as, as a credible news source. So that was yeah. the, that's the fun part about working with these guys. It's like it's like the, the crowdsource of wineries together to create what well, is the truth. W- I got super excited about what David was doing was because there are other s- systems out there and I talked to a few businesses who have databases of wine information but none of them actually cared or cared to talk to the producer they would just gather the information and put it in the database and whatever and david was like no no the producers are in control of their information that that to me felt right like i'm i'm from the northwest i'm a little bit of a punk like I want, I'm like a little bit idealistic, like, but for the people. And like, that felt like the right thing to do. Like, if you're going to host people's data, they should at least be in control of it. Like, that's the right thing to do. Don't be evil. Yeah. I'm still from that weird era that believed that we could do good if we made this internet thing and shared information, like that we could potentially make the world better, a better place to be. I'm curious, David. Um, Everyone now we're seeing this trend on like Instagram where there people are like putting like this it's like this AI app this Lensa and it's like pictures of them and everyone's doing it. I'm sure there's other apps like it, but um, are are we seeing AI and wine crossing paths and and if so, how? If not, do you see that in the future? What's what's the future with that? Well, there's, there's the pessimistic or optimistic view, and I definitely lean towards the pessimistic side. Da, of da, AI. Da. Yeah, and this is why. So if you've ever experienced, uh, you know, like uh, it's called CAPTCHA, where it's like... Oh, sure. You hit a website. Prove you're not a robot. Exactly. Find all the crosswalks. Like, this is really questionable. This could be a crosswalk. Why did you put that one there? Exactly. Yeah. So the the reason why we've seen that happen so much for like, what, the past decade is that we've been teaching AI. That's what we've been doing with that, right? So it's like now AI knows what crosswalks are, right? Man. So, but we haven't done that with wine, at all. And here's where things get kind of macabre yeah. is that we've tried to, but we've done it on top of crowdsourced information. Now, the crowdsourced information is a step up from shit. Hot garbage. Yeah. So, like, we need accurate data as a base to do literally anything interesting on top of it. So, without that, it's not going to really pick up the way that we see other things picking up with AI. Now, I've seen like these things. There was a Cal Poly gal who I interviewed a couple of years ago who had something where you can go into a grocery store and you answer these questions. I mean, but this is really not AI. This is just That's bullshit. deducing right. How yeah, are yeah. they? Do, how, they, they can't even. There's. Having been on the other side and yeah. looked at the data. That is absolute. Like maybe they're tasting it and they make a taste profile, but they have a limited selection that they're working from anyway. It's not actually representative of the world. So it's just their micro collection of, of, you know, warehouse wines that they have available for you. So it, it seems like a really cool idea. It's a, it's an amazing idea, but to build, but to have that, you need highways of information. You need the infrastructure built. And that's what made me so excited about what David was working on. Like, I remember him showing me this stuff for the first time. 
afterward, I was excited. I was almost shaking. I was so excited about the potential. And I remember emailing and be like, how can I help? What do I need to do? Like, I just want this to be. Yeah. Like, do we need to work together to make that happen? And he was like, that's an interesting idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so one thing that you've earned a position in is being trusted to communicate the message of wine to like a newer demographic. Millennials now, Gen Z, these folks buy very differently than, you know. They're so different. Very different. One, they're, they're, there's an extreme care about what they're ingesting, putting in their mouth. And then it's like, are, are these people good people even? You know what I mean? It even goes like farther, like, is this a good product? But they it's like, a- are these people good people? Are these happy chickens that I'm eating? You know yes, what I mean? Yes, they're happy chickens. Do I know the name? The chicken? Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh- they actually care. Right, they right. care about the information about like where is this coming from, who are they the do. people behind it. The They're far more cognizant of it now. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, how do you see the younger demos evolving in there? I mean, look, back in the day, there weren't things like yerba mate, kombucha. I mean, this younger demographic is already used to tasting funky bitter, shit. Right, so bitter, fruity, right. like like weird tasting, like fruit beers, you know, things like that. So. uh I think they're into fruitier wines with lighter alcohol that they can go take to the beach with them in a can, you know, because there's no glass on the beach and they don't want to do the wrong thing, you right, know, right. like, th- w- like that's, that is a future. Absolutely. It's, and maybe it's a certain quality of wine. Like, I don't think all wine's going to go that way. We're still very obsessed with cork. Like we haven't even switched to screw cap here in America. So, you know, the people getting into wine are paying, paying attention to the, the finer details and mm-hmm. they, and they, and they care. Like David said. It it all boils down to the fact that people have a computer in their pocket. Right. And you're using that thing for almost every decision in your life now. So like if if you're like, I'm in my 40s now, early 40s, thankfully, but like I use it for everything. Now, just look at kids using their phone. They use it beyond everything. It's almost like incomprehensible the level they do. Oh, yeah. Right. Tell me how you guys both met. I think David emailed me, honestly, and we set up a meeting and he had this cool little meeting tool. That I just like picked a slot. Like this was a few years ago, so it's still it seemed it's very obvious now after COVID. But like it was cool to like meet on the computer and hang out and Google chats and stuff. And we run our whole business that way now. Like our entire team is remote, and we meet uh, remotely. <laughs> you know, we have people everywhere, so it really is like we decided. Actually, it was crazy in 2020, January of 2020, before. COVID was, we knew it was, a few of us who were weirdly obsessed on Reddit knew about it coming, but we decided we were going to be a remote team. And uh, and then COVID happened. We were like, yeah, that was a good choice. Yeah, <laughs> right? It worked out just fine. Yeah, we did okay. You know, especially in the age of like wine influencer, you know, arguably the people you're reaching and the message that you guys are able to carry in an approachable way to these demographics. I mean, you're the... You know, you're, you're looked up by a lot of these people who are influencers, if you will. What are some things that these people are doing wrong? What are they doing? I mean, because we can all tell you how they annoy us or how that doesn't seem very, you know, real or whatever. I don't know. Like, but what, what, what do a lot of these influencers do wrong by either the brands, by the whole package in and of itself? What could they be doing better? Well, it's, it's hard when you're starting out as a influencer or something like that. Do you, if you're looking to get paid, like immediately and you need to build an audience to get paid building that rapport for getting paid is takes being extremely authentic and transparent and all these and amazing and then as if you switch over to getting paid and you're getting paid to represent a brand i think that kind of like 
takes down your rapport level. So to create a balance between what am I shilling and like, how do I stick to my core values? I think having really strong core values is really important. It's something that we haven't taken a lot of really well-paying gigs because they didn't match with our core values. And it's very hard to say no to those opportunities. It's hard to say no to a big contract, a big check. I was offered to back in the day when we weren't getting paid any money at all. I was basically offered $2,000 a month just to make content once a month or twice a month for this. I can't even remember like one, like a weird, like wine chiller thingamajigger. Yeah. And I was so excited to take that. Because it was like, this is $2,000 a month. That's well, sure. real money. Yeah. And, uh, come call me. I'll throw it, I'll throw it down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, so go ahead. But you, you just decided, like, my husband was like, absolutely fucking no. Really? Absolutely do not do it. He's like, go, because I was working full time at a restaurant while we were doing wine folly. And I just kept on working and do, making it work until it worked out. And so sticking to your core values and d- taking the time to define them. So that's the one thing I would say. Was it because you didn't want to like seem chintzy or like Alex Jonesy or why not? Why not? Was, was, did the chiller not work? Were you like, I mean, cause look, I work in, I come from broadcasting. So I will gladly tell you the best place you should get your Tempur-Pedic mattress is Christian's Mattress <laughs> Express. But I mean, it's because I really believe in the product and I've had her with a glass of wine over there and I jumped on it and it didn't spill, Madeline. Oh my God, it didn't spill. So my point is like, I mean, there are things that you can like believe Where is in this and stuff. Thing? Right. Yeah. Christian's Mattress Express, seven locations. I think it, I think it's church and state. You have to define what your church is and what your state is and how those things blend and don't blend and what that relationship is. And if you define them clearly, go have at it. And it's okay to accept money, but it 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 should be communicated clearly. One of the things, yeah, I know about that relationship you have with your fans. Well, I know that I know this um, publisher who does not show (laughs) whether or not it's paid for content. They will not announce whether or not the content is paid for. Isn't that not okay on Instagram TOS? That seems very not cool, right? Well, I think with the, the terms of service, you're not allowed to do that. Well, no, this is a this is an actual physical publisher of a of a of a printed thing. Oh, okay, so it's not like Insta. it's like an ancient object. You Got know, it. You get these things called magazines, books. Like yeah, magazine. Yeah, and uh, print what? And I remember hearing like hearing that and feeling like that was against all journalistic integrity ever. And so, like, be obvious, you know, if it is paid advert, And they did that on Instagram, but that only happened, like, what, a year and a half ago? Mm-hmm. Like, it was recently that yeah. that became a thing. Yeah. So. And, I mean, I don't even know how much it's even enforced. How much can you really yeah. enforce it, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, be be clear about what, what you're doing. And that's I think that's okay because your followers are actually okay with you accepting money because they want you to thrive and be successful. and And they will support you, too. Uh, David, what's the next step for Wine Folly and Folly Incorporated and how we're taking this database collaboration? We're coming out of this pandemic full steam ahead. What's next? Sure. So our new era since we've joined forces here has all been about accurate data being at the source of everything we do. Now, the most exciting stuff we did, like with Paso, for example, did a Paso wine region guide, which has been awesome. Paso uptake in regards to like wineries registering and taking control of their data is the best out of any region we've 
done. We've done Ooh, 10. So. Nice. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah, That's it was amazing. awesome. Well, shout out Paso. Way to go. So what, what do you need? You need these wineries to claim themselves in your space. Yeah, you got to claim their profile and yeah. then like own it. Like own the data. Put in as much or as little as you want, but at least have something. Yeah. So yeah, people so like realize winemaker, you can have like a winemaker description. You can have winemakers associated to wines. You can have wine information, like the details of the vintage and all that kind of stuff. Because like when you're drinking a bottle of wine, you're like, what is this? I want to learn more. And people will look on the internet for the answer. And there it is in all of its glory. And what's interesting, so one of the things that we've learned that's kind of funny about, I love you winemakers, but you guys got to get with the program here. Um, <laughs> I can't wait to hear this. <laughs> um so I'll buy a wine and I'll hold it for several years and then I'll open it several years later. And then I'll go to the winery's website and that information is gone on the vintage I'm drinking. And so with our, with our, the, the, the data structure, like it'll show the current vintage, but you can go back in time and see the old vintage data. And if you look at all the, like the finest wines in the world, they have like a hundred years of history. You know who else does? Tablas Creek has a lot of history. Yeah, you can like check out like the their library, like how it's ex- tasting. And you it's know how dope. cool? It's dope. it's dope. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. So like the people who get it are clearly the people who get it. It starts with a leader in the field, somebody who's crazy enough to try it. And then they gain success and then everybody else is like, let me do it too. And so we need more crazy out there maverick individuals who want to go try something new and have a new way of seeing it and, do- and are doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. David, was this your, you're from Canada. Is this your first time to Paso? Yes, first time. Give me some thoughts. Be open, be honest. Let's break it down. It's been super awesome to see, like, we just came from the event here where, like, a ton of the members from Paso showed up. There's been just an insane amount of wine being poured. So I've got the chance to try probably more Paso wine than I've ever had the chance to try in one spot. And it's been awesome. There's so much variety, a bunch of different types of wine, styles of wine. Yeah, we love the variety. It's awesome. I was at a Cab Franc seminar uh, over the weekend with... um, Wes Hagen. He was a Santa Barbara County winemaker for like 30 plus years. He did some stuff in Paso too, but he was leading this Cab Franc seminar and he was saying like out of all the places I've you know, he's traveled the country to sell wine, has made wine here for a long time, but uh, the way that the Paso, the camaraderie with the Paso producers is unlike anything we anyone were, has seen. We were blown away. Like everybody corrected me outside of Paso, but in Paso, I didn't know how to pronounce... Robles. Mm-hmm. Is it Robles or is it Robles? I know. This is a weird conversation. And every time you come here, everyone here is like, however you want. Whatever works for you is yeah. how it works for us. And then as soon as I leave and other people outside of Paso, they all have opinions about how you're supposed to pronounce yeah. it. We were corrected a million times on social media. I feel like here it's always going to be Robles, but like when I go do World of Pinot Noir and I do my you show say there. Robles? I do. And when, I, when I'm talking to people outside of here because that's how it's proper, said. that's how it's supposed to be said. Really? I mean, let's be, I mean, of course, we're in California. We have Spanish, Mexican names here. I feel like what uh, often happens is, is like when you think about, all right, how do you say L.A.? How do, you, what, do you say Los Angeles or do you say Los Angeles? I know, but still, it's not one of those things. And we don't say Camarillo, we say Camarillo. Camarillo, yeah. You decide, I guess, when you're actually you putting the to, inflection. You don't have to put that stank on it, like Camarillo. Like, I feel like a lot of our, our anchors will do that. They'll be like, this we're here stank. at the accident scene in Costa Mesa, Anatoly <laughs> Gonzalez, ABC7 Eyewitness News. That was beautiful. And that's what they'll do, though. You know what I mean? Like, they'll really put that But when, that pa- when, you, when you look at Paso, though, and you read it on the label, and you're in Des Moines, Iowa, as 
Joel had said earlier, it's Paso Robles. That's how you're going to read it because phonetically, that's you want to pronounce that B and that L, right? Mm-hmm. But it, it, it truly is like whatever you want to say. Sure. Locals, Robles, or just Paso. Yeah. The vibe here is very different. It's, it's a come as different. you are. Come as it's you a, are. It really is. It's all good. You know, have you guys, so you guys just got here. Did you just get here today too or what? I've been here before, but yeah, yeah, we got in last night. Any fun places you like to eat or things you like to go get in? There's in this here? vegan place downtown called, the, it's, I got a hat from it. Ziggy's. Ziggy's. Ziggy's, yeah. Oh my gosh. You, are you vegan? Yeah, well, I am plant based. I don't want yeah. to admit that. On I, I, no, sure. I offer wine pairings, and I can and I can recommend good meats because I taste everything. You no, sure. Swish and spit. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, I'm plant based. Like- I, I was surprised that a, a town this size had such a nice quality, the like, good quality plant based options. Yeah. No, we really do. Yeah. It's actually, really good. That. That's, yeah. What about you? You just got here, so we gotta. How long are you here for? Finding out tonight. We're going out. I think. Where are you Somewhere. going? I'm not even sure. Il Cortile. Oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Wow. We Sounds just good. heard we just heard the name just now. We can look it up. Il Cortile. Oh shoot. I may have ruined a surprise. No. Oh, oh. did I? Joel <laughs> Joel's gone. It's okay. He yeah, won't yeah, yeah. know until much later. <laughs> <laughs> How long are you in town for, David? Um same as Madeline. We're we're gone tomorrow morning. So. Oh my goodness. Yeah, but our team, we're all coming back here in January. And it's it, actually a funny thing, most of our team hasn't met each other in real life yet. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. So it's going to be the first time we're all meeting down here. We're going to party. Yeah. In, January? in January? Yeah. Okay. Well, we have to connect again. Yeah. Because that, that'll be a lot of fun. Are you going to come over for one of our party nights? Yeah, for sure. I'm down. Yeah, we're, gonna, we're, we're bringing, weird, we're bringing yeah. weird wines. Like, everybody's bringing in, well, who, the people who are bringing in wine, we're bringing in crazy wines, too. I love awesome. crazy wines. I um, I only offered my wine to James Suckling because I knew after talking to him for a day that he wouldn't You wouldn't me, be a butt about it. He wouldn't, be bull, he wouldn't bullshit me. He would just oh, give it to me yeah. straight, not care about my feelings. I'm not a winemaker. I don't. What did you think of the peak pool? Because I knew you were intrigued by a peak pool because it was a weird wine. So, I love the grape variety peak pool. Yeah. Um, what I was, what surprised me about this wine, because and I'm very familiar with how pig bull tastes, at least from France. So I've never had a California southern, like Central Coast area pig bull. Um, I was surprised at the body of the wine. It had actually for a pig bull, it was loaded with texture and body, and it had this um, the acidity came through in the like front middle, and then it had this like really rich like text like texture unexpected. Like I'm used to her pick pool, just like super high just, acid, just tingling me with acid. Yeah, yeah. That's what it means, right? It's like acid, like lip Yeah, smacker. Uh, yeah, lip stinger. Yeah, whatever. right. Stings the lip or whatever. Sure. Pick pool. Uh, but so I felt like this was a very uh, different step away from my typical pick pool, but uh, very very squashable wine. Like I kind of want to pair it with food squashable, though, squashable because like it's that. like it 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 has like body and stuff like that. I kind of want to pair it with some like Indian food or something like that. Like it, it felt like it needed to go with food yeah which is classic right which is classic for pig pool like that actually seems like the right move for that acid yeah acid yeah i'm an acid i'm an acid head big time (laughs) big time I love it. You had a question about trends, Chris? Oh, well, I mean, as we're talking about wines and you're an acid head and stuff, it's like, well, what's trending? What's cool right now? Like, what are people really I don't want to digging? See this. I don't want to see this in, in Paso. <laughs> Please. White wine. Yeah, sure. that's all right. Yeah. What's white, in front I'm of like, us? We've got, that's like, what we've been drinking. Like a like pig pool, for yeah. example, is a white wine. Uh, like, it's exciting. What, what, okay, so the different levels. People getting into wine, I've noticed, are digging more fruit like they're drinking kombucha and they're going up a notch to wine and they want a lighter alcohol fruity red and then you've got the super geeks who are super into wine like when i go to my geek parties with the wines everyone's 
rocking a weird bottle of some unique grape variety. Has everyone tried to impress Madeline Paquette when she's at a party? Like, here's the thing. I love it. David shaking his head yes. Is it annoying, David, to watch this go down? Is it like like I'm on a dry heave? Is like people are just trying to? No, it's awesome. Is Never it... a problem because we get to get drink good right. wine. Well, like <laughs> totally. But it, it's it's kind of funny, right? Like the cliched thing if you work in the wine industry at all and you talk to someone who's not, they're like, "Well, what's your favorite wine?" I know. Oh, like come on. But like all wine is interesting. There's bad wine that you might not like, but there's lots of great wine too. So I think like tasting with Madeline is super fun. Could just like, yeah, fuck it. Let's try this. Yeah. How weird. Yeah. We'll try it and we'll be like, well, that was I'm, different. I'm and like, that's exciting. I like that about you guys. That like to me, like I'm at the point in my wine t- like drinking career where I... <laughs> I pretty much like everything under the sun. In fact, the more different and weird and, and and unique and things that I haven't tasted before, like I'm always, I just want to continue to expand endlessly. And I feel like the wine world has room for me to expand to, for the rest of my life. Let me ask you a question because I've done, you know, the, the radio show, The Cork Dorks, and this podcast for a couple of years now for about 12. So I've been doing like, I've been lucky enough to interview winemakers and stuff for a while. And we've always, you know, we don't pretend to know shit about wine. But the idea of, I mean, shoot, when we've tasted this long, we've learned a thing yeah, or two, you right? Yeah, you know a thing or two. So Big you, time. you too, like you're, you're keeping things approachable and hey, welcome one, welcome all. But we're obviously riding that line of like, one, we want are people that have followed us for a long time to get smarter, but I always want to keep this door swinging so new people can come in. Yeah. Yes. Keep the door. Uh, one of my friends said it best. He's like, you know what? I look in the wine industry and there's other wine writers out there because he's, he's a wine writer. He's a master, uh, master sommelier. And he's like, um, a lot of people are fighting over the pieces of the pie, trying to get their piece of the pie. He's like, you're just trying to make the pie bigger. Yeah. Like, yeah, dude. We're going to world's biggest pie. Well, you here. want it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you wanted to become a master som. I d- and then, and then at some point it was like, yes, you're tasting a lot of great wine, but this isn't fun anymore. I had not. Yeah. I it's homework. Yeah. It was dumb homework. It was, I wasn't even drinking. I was just drinking cocktails at, yeah. at like, I was not enjoying wine at all. I yeah. was drinking cocktails and beer. So I was like, well, I clearly don't like wine anymore. I should probably quit. Yeah. And, uh, my, uh, my husband was like, you're not happy. He was like, stop this. This is crazy. And uh, as soon as I quit, I felt like I lost everything because I had given up music to go to wine. And here I was about to give up wine. And so I tried to talk to a couple of mentors and people were like, dude, you love the internet. You love wine. Why don't you just quit? Why don't you do your own thing? And it felt super risky because here I wasn't prepared to communicate about wine. I was not sophisticated. I was not a master sommelier. I was was certified at that point. And here I am having the the balderdash level balls to to go out there and to talk about wine while these other masters were way more applicable. Yeah, but fuck yeah, that's great. This is that sprinkle of naivete that I feel with the gusto, with the fearlessness. This is how we get to meet people like David. You get these this connection with regular people. Yeah. They're now calling you from Iran saying, how do I make Dude, this in was, my bathtub? Yeah. Right? Best. I mean, that's a really cool way that you could say you've connected with people. Yeah. One of your interviews, you talk about, um, and it's so funny to have, we're talking about wine. You're obviously a very like, you know, non-confrontational kind of easy person to get along with. And you, you did this one interview where you're like, um, I had to get to know like the haters are going to come. The trolls are going to come. And I thought that was so interesting because doing what I do on the radio, I'm not a shock jock by any stretch. But you could say one thing about one way. I even had these vegans come after me one time because I made a joke about, you know, something like that. We're after you. Yeah, right. Yeah. But I mean, and, and it was funny. But my point is like, how did you kind of like put that? I'm going to use these people to fuel me. Oh, love the haters. You know what? I listen to this. 
like motivational speaker dude, uh, Grant Cardone, if you know him, he's like, I love, he's got this weird accent. I love the haters. And I just started like, almost like, I like chanting that or like feeling it. And some of the haters you can turn around. Like if they're reasonable and they actually just want to be acknowledged for knowing the right thing. And they want to connect. And they want to connect. That's their way of connecting is attacking you like a vicious animal. Turns out they actually totally like you. Like you'll be like, oh, hey, how's it going or whatever. And they'll be like, oh, my God, I love you. And you're just like, "Okay, that was not the first reaction I was expecting from you. So that's the first action. If I'm really feeling bad about it, I'll actually reach back. And usually that solves it. But if they're an actual real hater, I've cried a lot about things. I've been really upset and all that kind of stuff. But you just have to like let it go. Yeah. You just have to let because it, it does go. hurt, sure. It does hurt a little but bit. But it's like you're right. I'm gonna I'm gonna use this for good. I'm gonna use this to fuel. Yeah. The only thing the only things that I've taken was um, one thing that I took to heart was that people were always complaining about accuracy of information. Well, I found David. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on it. All right, people. I uh, we have a team. We have a master of wine working for us. We have these incredible wine smart knowledgeable people who correct me all the time. And so, like, it's happening. Our goals are the vision for the site and and for this open place where you can learn about wine you can find grape varieties that you might not have ever tried before like that is the vision and we're not going to stop like yeah. you know we're lean we're, we're a small team but we are trying really hard to 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 reach to get to that goal david what was it really when you saw just the popularity of obviously what she's able to do as far as like interacting and connecting that famous word connecting right obviously you have this key that really brought what the two of you are doing separately into harmony yeah it's very symbiotic for sure you know, it's been interesting to to watch people, like even just around the table, grab a bottle of wine, right? And I'm watching everyone do it. They're looking at it, turning around, trying to see if there's any information on it to just be like, what is this, right? And like, I love finding wines that have QR codes because 90% of the time they don't work. Uh-huh. Oh, really? They go to some like bunk website or... Or it's like 404. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I've, I'm going off the rails here, but like working with Madeline and bringing wine falling into like the next era of what we're trying to do, it's really about like democratizing wine information with that layer of trust. And the trust with wine information is not there when you look at most say wine applications or third parties, even the media, yeah. right? Shout out media, but like... Where do you get the information from? You know, someone down here famously said something about fake something news, I think. Right. <laughs> but um, it's a real problem no, in, sure. in the wine world, right? And I think there's a lot of pushback as well. well because the wine, as Gary Everly uh, is famous for saying, a lot of the wine business is bullshit. Totally. Yeah. But I think that era is coming to a close. Yeah. And I, I'm, yeah. the unfortunate thing here, and this might be controversial, sommeliers need to evolve. Right, Because I think the role of a traditional sommelier is they're going, I know stuff that you don't. Yeah. And that has changed that in matter. almost every other industry. David, you're onto something here, man. That is so true. You know what a, what a great sommelier is? Somebody who has tasted the wines on the menu and can be like, oh, that one's like this and this one's like that. And what are you looking for? Like, oh, like that. Yeah. Well, that one's like this one. Or do you want to try something totally crazy? Like that's when I talk to a good sommelier, they're like that. And I'm like... Uh, lead me, kind one. Yeah, it's like going back to being a steward, <laughs> a true steward. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they know what's in their library, and they can offer you something that'll work for what you're interested in. And then your job is to look at the wine and figure it out yourself, because, like, all the information could be there. 
right? That's the mind-blown emoji right there, man. That's really what, what you just said, David. That's spot on. What do wineries need to know? How can they get involved? And what should these wineries be doing so they are staying at the forefront of keeping this one connection with their fans, their DTC connection, but also being relevant in the space where, hey, if I want to go punch this up on my phone, I could find everything I need to know. Yeah, for sure. So you can work with Wine Folly for free right now. And you know you can contribute your data for free. It costs you nothing. So just get in touch with us. We can sign you up. We can start taking control of your data. And then you can do really cool shit on top of that. So for example, I talked about QR codes. We've fixed QR codes, right? So we've made it so that it's really easy for you to just take the digital information that you've already shared and you've put up. And it's on your website. It's on a region guide. It's on wherever. And the QR code points to the same spot. And the QR code will work indefinitely. You never have to worry about it. There's no IT burden. There's no update a PDF. If you update it, it updates. It's beautiful. This is how it should work. This is what consumers expect. And we have a small window to fix this because the more consumers scan QR codes and have a negative experience, they will stop scanning QR codes. They'll be like, this is bullshit. That doesn't work. I'm never scanning these again. So that window is closing. We need to solve this problem soon. Yeah, so you can, we actually have a QR code maker on this data tool. And so you can like have a QR code, slap it on your label. Boom. Even if you even if you start the wine and before you have all the information, you're getting the labels printed early. You can still produce the QR code, send it to the printer, and that kind of stuff, and then add your information, all the information later, like bottle shots and all that kind of stuff. It's really beautiful, and we built. Uh, well, he's he with the team that David built, yeah. uh, has. Yeah, it's just add your assets and <laughs> totally. Put them yeah, because like we're cool. at a, we're at a phase where like like it happened today, just like David was saying, like we'd be. Everyone brought in, like, all the producers were here, and they all brought in their wines, and they were all sharing it with each other, and everyone was, like, looking at the wines and le- wanting to learn more. And we were all tasting the wines and talking about them, and, oh, this vintage, da da or this is, how was this made? Like, that was one of the questions I asked. I was like, is this carbonic? And he's like, well, I think it is. And I remember you flipped the bottle around to get the wine varieties for it, and it wasn't listed, and we were both like, what, what, what grapes was this? Like, we were both having this, like, frustrating experience where we could have, uh, we could have just solved it really easily. And, and, like, that's where we want to go, is make it easy for us to learn to love wine. I love it. It's pretty cool. How do uh, people get involved? They just go to uh, winefolly.com or how do people get involved, David? Yeah, winefolly.com. Go look at the contact us section in the footer and yep. then go from there. Super easy. Were there any names of bottles? I mean, you tasted a bunch today. You've only been here for a matter of hours. Were there any besides the Montito Peak Pool that stood, <laughs> that stood out a the lot? The Peak Pool was pretty special, actually, because I had just talked about Peak Pool and then I got to taste it. We had a one... What was that crazy carbonic wine? That was the Slam Dance Kid one. Oh the one God. with the three. Yeah. yeah, the Negrette and the Cinso See, and the uh, uh, Black cool Malvin. Uh, was he uh, here? Valdegui. No. Uh, Val- then Dude. we had a Valdegui that was pretty decent. The Valdegui cool. from Hubba. Hubba, Hubba yeah. Wines. That was yeah. good. Love her. Um, yeah. That was really tasty. That Thibodeau. You did you dug nice. that I, one. The, the nose on the Thibodeau was crazy. This is Syrah. Mm-hmm. And it smelled like sassafras and um, some other weird herb. Oh, mint, it was minty like winter green and sassafras and for a syrah i was like wow that's very unique like yeah are you good did you know you had a good palate do you have a good palate like i feel like i could use words that like i know for me but i feel very like uncomfortable like explaining that out because i don't feel like it's gonna translate to you or david or people who again i worry probably know more about wine than i do you know i don't think um i think the only thing that makes me good is like i was a kid and i ate dirt and so i've smelled a lot of weird things on the ground so like sassafras like in my family's from tennessee and i've been out in the dirt in Tennessee and there's like the sassafras plants that grow there and I've eaten the leaves so I have like a I can recall what sassafras tastes like is it like vanilla 
It's like kind of like sarsaparilla. What is sarsaparilla? It's sarsaparilla. Sarsaparilla. It's like okay. um, it's like root beer, kinda. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And, but like, it's an actual green leafy thing, and then you p- dig the root out and you use the sassafras root. If you eat a lot of it, it'll make you fart. Really? Don't do that. <laughs> Good to know, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Glad I didn't have some before this podcast. <laughs> Goodness. Yeah. Lucky you. Well, do you run the Instagram yourself, or do you must have people that do that now? Now we have an amazing uh, social media manager, and she does. Well, like, is it on your phone? Like, if you wanted to get in there, you could. Yeah, I could get in there. Why? Yeah. You, what are you trying I'm just, to, you know, no, I'm just kind of curious. Like, <laughs> when you go on to like, an account that has like that many followers, it's just like, you're right now, what's your badge? Like, right now, be like, you have. 2,900 notifications. So like, what does it look like when you open your She phone? actually keeps it really clean. Oh, um, does she? Which is amazing because it, it's a lot of work to... to oh, it's yeah. A lot, it's a lot of people. Are you planning out your posts like, Tuesdays we do this? When does, yes. does it have to get so anal like that? It does? Well, the reason it gets anal like that is because as soon as you systemize success, like you see a success metric and you can repeat it, and then people actually come to expect it. Like, we have this really awesome Wine Quiz Wednesdays where we name the grape without naming the grape and so people will guess in the comments and stuff and it's ex- it's brutally popular people are angry if like we missed a week or something was different about a week and people were furious where's our wine quiz wednesday exactly so we have to we have to give the people what they want so you are and you're seeing like metrics and if you're recommending to people who are getting into this to maybe put out the wine business or whatever or even like brands that are listening there is a method to this madness are there, yeah. are there any of the little tricks that you picked yeah. up learning the algorithm being successful at it uh-huh well um if you're making video you've got to there are some formulas and you can look online on on like what kind of ones work there's actually like within the first two seconds do this you know catch How their attention yeah. within the first two seconds what's like make sure that your primary image the stage saved image is something that's that like makes you want to be like what is that like you know or whatever so there's definitely some tactics involved with it or like a strategy and but there's but there's strategies out there but then it's like how do I apply that strategy to something that I can do repeatedly and I am different than you and different than everyone and we all have a different way of executing on the strategy and that's what makes it so cool is that you can be anyone you can be a producer and all you have is like your vineyard you're going to make great content out there like you've got enough to work with. If you have a phone and you know a little bit of strategy and you can test it, just do it 10 times in a row. And if it doesn't catch on after 10 times doing it in a row, switch up the strategy, try something different, like like modify slightly and then see if it'll work and try it again. And the more times you do it, you just start to build traction. And the thing that makes you successful more than anything in the world is be consistent. Yes, I think I learned that from Gary V too. You just got to be consistent. You just got to hit it, hit it, hit it, hit it. What are some things as far as like the numbers and the database algorithmically, David, that brands should be keeping in mind as they're moving forward? Well, the real simple one that anyone can do, regardless of whether they're using some of our tools, is what you were talking about in terms of like the consistency. We call it internally rhythm and ritual of doing things on a constant basis without having to think about it. It's like, what's Monday? It's like, we know what Mondays are, right? Like that level of rhythm. But the thing that people can do right off the bat is measure. Like, what did you do? And did it do what you wanted it to do? Do you know what you wanted it to do? Like, that's actually probably the most important thing. Is like, why are you doing the thing? And then go, did we do the thing? And can you measure that thing? Yeah. So things get like a little bit weird sometimes when it's like, can you measure? Especially since like, 
you know, social media is changing. Like lots of things are making it really, really hard to actually measure now. Um, but you still can, uh, whether, you know, I hate the term engagement, just putting it out there. Really? Cause like, what does that mean? Yeah, what does it mean? Does that mean a Impression, like, a comment, right. Yeah, no, sure. Like all these things. A look? Yeah. Kind of means all of it, doesn't it? Does yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> it does. It's all of it. But ultimately it's like, what do you care about? Right. Right. So yeah, yeah. the measuring. What should brands care about? Should brands care about it the Insta page, bringing it back to the website? Yeah. It's a great question. It depends on what we're question. trying to achieve. And we've, and you'll find that certain things work for certain like if we're doing a post, we have an expectation for that versus a story. Got it. Like if you're talking Instagram, for example. Yeah. And it's different. And and like YouTube is a totally different platform. I know. And you test different lengths of videos to see. Where do you think you've had your best success? Do you feel you you wrap your head around all of them yet, or there's some that are still a little bit like God? I could, I could get better at YouTube, or I could get I better could get at this. All, yeah, I'm I'm like one of those like. I need to improve, teacher. How do I? Be but that's better? good. That's good. That's how we get better. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, sure. Yeah. I'm like, I, there's so much more that I want to try and do, and usually it's time limited. But I actually like David introduced this whole thing as like, what can you get done in four hours, Madeline? Like he kind of like put because like I'm a creative and I'll literally fill all the time in the world, and so he starts putting these these edges on the time, and I'm like, I actually start strategizing like when it happens. I'm like. How do we get this done? What am I going to actually produce in four hours? And then it like, there's definitely a stress period where I'm like, ah, running around. But then when it push comes to shove, I know I can produce something in four hours that would work. And that, and I think that's a really good challenge to try to put end brackets on it because then it's not intimidating to do it again. You're like, well, it only took this many two hours or 30 minutes or like I only spent this much time on it. It's like, that's not that bad. I could do that again. Yeah. Like, and so like four hours is like a big project, right? That's a video project. I really like the two of you because I feel like there's a lot in him that you needed. Oh, big time. You know what I mean? Like even, <laughs> even just like as you talk, cause I'm more like you, like this creative, but man, if I had a David, you all, everybody needs a David. Everyone needs a David yeah. because I mean, it's a lot of this and I don't know if you've heard this but you know it's this this empirical kind of like hey let's be pragmatic let's think let's yeah. cross t's dot eyes and when you and i are just are like over here doing whatever feels Drinking in the, the moment. pick pool yeah right. yeah yeah, yeah exactly. exactly but also i mean like david i mean i can imagine like when you were able to like find someone who can be so able to connect and tangible with people in a lot of like intangible ways that's got to take a lot of the what the numbers and the t's were crossed and the eyes were dotting yeah. and make things really human he like what's great about this is he we in we introduce this stuff called OKRs, objective key results. And so we actually have to like identify what the goal is before we do the thing, which is, it sounds like obvious, like now that we're doing it, but like, don't do that. It's you, if you define what you want to get out of the thing and you suddenly realize there's so many things you don't have to do to get to that goal. Uh, I think for our work week talks about it too, is like, what are your goal? What do you actually want to do here? Like, how do you get to that thing? And Reminds so, me of uh, Office Space. Mm-mm. What is it you actually do here? Remember when he said... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, so like, starting with the end in mind yeah. is, like, some one of the things that we've sort of implemented. And it's I think it's helped the entire team, you know, to, like... It's not just about time wasting, because it's, it's energy, right, that you're producing. And, like, when you put energy out there, you want to get energy back. And when you have a lot of wasted energy, it's actually really demoralizing at work to just feel like I did all this work and nothing came up from it. You know, like you want to see those results. And actually when we start to look at the results, everyone gets excited. They're like, wow. And like, it's okay to get 70% of your goal. Like it's good to have a goal that's like a little out of reach. Maybe. No, sure. You know? 
know? Right. Yeah. So you can attain it. Yeah. So you attain them, and then you make the next one. Yeah, exactly. Put it a little farther. Yeah. Get it out there. David, how does this uh, compare to Canadian interviews? Did, did I? Am I okay? Do you feel it's comfortable? Awesome, Was this good? Love it. Madeline, of all the wine interviews that you've done, or does this rank somewhere in the Number summer? one. I'm what? shilling. There we Mattress go. land over yeah. here. <laughs> you, know what, really, you know what I really love? Well researched. Yeah. Awesome. Incredible amount of research you did. It was clear that you did your homework, which blew my mind. You listened to other podcasts, which that, like I, you were citing things that I'm pretty sure I did in other podcasts. And then the last thing was, it was uh, you. It's you. It's totally you, dude. Because like, you clearly know a shitload about wine, but you keep it light. Yeah, I was very impressed. Here, yeah, yeah, you're your awesome. Your is refreshing. Oh, I love it. It's been really great to have you both on here. Winefolly.com. All the wineries can go. And, and then we could see the great work and the collab that you've done with Paso with uh, the map and mapping things out. It's pretty exciting stuff. And I definitely hope that when you're back in January, we connect. You'll have some more time. I can meet the rest of your crazy team. And we'll have some more uh, some, some more crazy wine. wines. Thanks, guys, for hanging out. And honestly, sharing where wine takes you. This has been a real treat. Thank you, guys. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much. Cheers. Give me that sound. We'll get by, we pass on round till the job is done. Camped out in the trees, it will simplify good company. Well, so many thank yous to Madeline Paquette and David Gluesman from Wine Folly for sharing where wine takes you both. Love the conversation, guys. Let me take this time to wish you a very Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah. Uh, We won't connect here again until after the new year, so I also want to wish you and your family a happy and safe new year. Thank you so much for spending some of your time connecting with us here and growing with us. And feel free to reach out. DM me on Instagram at Adam on the air. Let me know what you'd like to see in 2023 from the Where Wine Takes You podcast. Look forward to knowing what's on your mind. I'm thinking maybe some live podcasts would be fun, but what do we do them here? Do we travel both? Let me know what you think. Where Wine Takes You is executive produced by Joel Peterson and Paso Wine. The podcast is recorded, edited, and produced by yours truly. Original music performed by Moonshiner Collective, the song Good Company. All their music available wherever you stream and at moonshinercollective.com. Equipment transport and technical consideration provided by Fly With Wine. Well, next time you are cruising around the Central Coast, you can tune me in on your radio, my morning show, heard weekday mornings, 6 to 10 a.m., called Up and Adam in the Morning, is on the Crush 92.5, spelled with a K, K K-R-U-S-H. We also stream online, crush925.com. Well, until next time, lift that glass up high and let's celebrate the new year. The new you, the new adventures, the new stories, the new friends we've yet to make, enjoying and sharing where wine takes you. Happy New Year. And give me that sound, get by, we pass on down till the job is Get out in the trees, it will simplify, good comp. Give me that sound, get by, we pass on down till the job is Get out in the trees, it will simplify, good comp. Give me that sound, get by, we pass on down till the job is out in the trees, we will simplify in good company. With that moonshine, we'll get by. We pass on round till the job is dry. Camped out in the trees, we will simplify in good company.